The river Boas rises close to the boundary of the Tsanoi by the Armenians who dwell around Pharangion. Its course inclines at first to the right for a long distance. Its stream is small and can be forded by anyone with no trouble as far as the place where the boundaries of the Iberians lie on the right, and the Caucasus ends directly opposite. In that place many nations have their homes, including the Alans and the Abskoi, who are Christians and friends of old to the Romans, also the Zekoi, and after them the Huns, who are also called the Sabaroi. But when this river reaches the limits of the Caucasus, and of Iberia as well, there other waters are added to it, and it becomes much larger, and from there flows on bearing the name of Phasis instead of Boas. It becomes a navigable stream as far as the Black Sea, into which it empties, and on either side of it there lies Lazica. Now, to the right of it, the whole country for a great distance is populated by locals as far as the boundary of Iberia. For all the villages of the Lazoi here are beyond the river, and towns have been built there in ancient times, including Archaeopolis, a very strong place, Sebastopolis, and the fortress Pityus, as well as Scanda and Serapanis by the boundary of Iberia. The two significant cities in the latter region are Rhodopolis and Mocaresis, but to the left of the river, the limit of Lazica is one day's journey for an active traveler, and the land is devoid of people. Adjoining that land is the home of the Romans who are called Pontians. Now it was in the territory of Lazica, where no people lived, that the emperor Justinian founded the city of Petra in my own time. This was where Ioannis, surnamed Tsibos, established the monopoly, as I said in the previous narrative, and caused the Lazoi to revolt. Reading from Procopius, The Wars of Justinian, Book 2, Chapter 29, Lines 14 to 21. Thank you to Ben from Wittenberg to Westphalia. Gamarjoba, and welcome to the history of Sacadvelo, Georgia. I'm your host, Roberto, and this is episode 33, The First Siege of Petra. In today's episode, we will be covering the First Siege of Petra, the attempt to conquer Daras, and the Lazai Revolt. Just repeating again, I am going to Georgia in late April, and would like your support in helping mitigate research costs while I'm there. I want to take full advantage of visiting historical sites, museums, and buying books to benefit the show, and would love your support. For every $100 donated, I will create a bonus episode based on something that I see in Georgia, and will also make a daily audio journal about my time there, which will start releasing upon my return in late May. You can go to tinyurl.com slash trip or follow the link in the episode description. That is S-A-Q-A-R-T-V-E-L-O. Now, let's get into the show. Hosro followed the Lazai envoys through the Kartveli territory, and he gazed upon the forest that would lead them to Lazika. 
he ordered his men to fell the trees and create a road that would connect his empire to this small kingdom. The trees of Lazika were thick and tall, and an army would be hard-pressed to move through them. The trees they cut down were turned into supports for the new road that would greatly simplify travel between many previously inaccessible regions. The Persians could now make their way straight to Nokalakevi, where they met with King Gubaz II. Gubaz pledged his loyalty to Khosro and let him know that Lazika was his to rule. Together, the Shahan Shah and the king discussed what their first course of action would be, and Gubaz only had one name on his mind, John Zebus. John Zebus was the Byzantine general that had been chipping away at his power, depriving his people of the necessities of life and controlling all the trade in the area due to his bottomless greed. For the Persian mission to control Azika to be successful, he would need to go. Zebus also controlled the Byzantine fort of Petra, which gave the Byzantine army easy access to the whole land and the valleys of Lazika, as well as control over the ships coming from Anatolia. It was also easily defensible and allowed the Byzantines to reinforce their troops easily. Hosro and Gubaz were in agreement on the best plan of action. To regain Lazika, the fortress of Petra must fall. Hosro dispatched scouts to scope out the fort, and soon thereafter ordered General Anyabedes to take the fort. Zebus could not be surprised that easily, though, as his own scouts reported on Persian troop movement in the area and ordered his men that no one was allowed outside of the fort or were to be seen along the parapet. When they moved through the fortress, armed themselves, or donned their armor, they could not make a single sound. The enemy had to assume the fort was completely empty. The Persians marched on the fort and saw no one, leading General Anyabedes to believe that the Byzantines had abandoned it. The unsuspecting Persians jubilantly began to scale the walls and dispatched a messenger to Hosro to tell him of the easy victory. Anyabedes ordered a large chunk of the Persian army to attack the walls from all sides, while a smaller portion used a battering ram on the gates to break them down and allow the army to capture the city. Imagine the Persian surprise when the gates swung open and the Byzantines poured out to kill the unsuspecting Persian soldiers. The first to fall was the group controlling the battering ram, followed by the rest of the army around the fortifications. This defeat prompted Anyabedes to return to Nokalakevi, where he met with Hosro and Gubaz. Hosro grew angry with the general and ordered him impaled because he had been outmaneuvered by John Zebus, a merchant and unwarlike man. Hosro then decided that if you want something done right, you need to do it yourself. He marched men to Petra, made camp, and laid siege to the Byzantine fort. Hosro, thinking the walls were not sturdy, ordered his men to storm the wall and for his bowmen to blot out the sky with arrows. The Byzantines surrounded their fort and fought off the assault from the infantry in spite of a weaker position, but were soon felled by the rain of arrows. 
John Zebus himself left his quarters to examine the situation, only for an arrow to pierce his neck. The sun set and the Persians withdrew for the night. Hosro needed a way to break through the walls of the city. The Byzantines, despite the loss of their leader, wouldn't just open it up to the Persians. Hosro and his generals decided they had two choices. Force the Byzantines to open the gates or distract them long enough to allow them to storm the walls. The siege continued as normal the following day. That is, as far as the Byzantines knew. Nearby, Persians were hard at work tunneling underneath the walls of the fort. Deep underground, beneath one of the towers of the fortress, soldiers piled wood in preparation for one of history's least fun bonfires. As the flame rose, the stones weakened and a tower collapsed into the hole. The Byzantines inside managed to make it out in time, but the damage had been done. Where there was one solid fortification was now a huge, gaping hole in the fortress's defense. The Persians stormed inside and slaughtered many Byzantines before they promptly surrendered. Petra had fallen. Although Hosro went to John Zebus's quarters and looted many of his personal items, he ordered the captured army left alone and invited them to join him, although he would not kill them or loot their property regardless of their choice. This act of mercy and generosity would not, however, guarantee victory elsewhere. The Byzantine general and right-hand man to Emperor Justinian, Belisarios, invaded Persia and attacked the city of Nisibis in modern-day Turkey. Belisarios' army eventually made its way across the Tigris River, accompanied by the Christian Arab Khalid of the Ghassanids, Al-Kharif ibn Jabala. News of these attacks spread quickly through Petra, and fear of losing their homes to the Byzantines drove talk of mutiny among the soldiers. Hosro returned to Persia to face Belisarios, but left a garrison at Petra, cementing Persian control of Lazica. Although Belisarios and Hosro clashed many times in Persia, Justinian eventually ordered the former to withdraw. Meanwhile, everything remained quiet on the Lazican front, until Justinian sent an envoy to Hosro in 545. In exchange for peace, the Byzantines demanded control of Lazica. Hosro was understandably reluctant to give up the territory he had just fought so hard to protect, and additionally pointed out to the envoys that it was difficult to discuss peace while their armies were fighting. Without an armistice, how could there be peace talks? He also demanded Justinian pay the Persians in both money and a physician of his choice. Justinian eventually agreed to these terms and sent the money and doctor as requested, and the peace was struck. Despite the truce, tensions were high between the Byzantines and Persians, and the Lazi were stuck in the middle. Hosro, for his part, plotted to further expand his control of the region. He planned to capture the city of Daras in modern-day southern Turkey, and more importantly, forcibly remove the Lazi from Lazica and put in Persian settlers in their place. To put these plans into action, he grabbed two brothers, known as Fabrizos and Yazgushnasp. According to Procopius, they were known for their cleverness and evil ways, 
and were the most wicked of all the Persians. Their first course of action was to put Iberia in its place and ensure that they would be unable to rebel against the Persians. A Persian governor was appointed to ensure that the Kartvelian king behaved. Secondly, they had to get the Huns under control and use them against the Byzantines whenever they wanted, especially since Lazica was nothing more to the Persians than a buffer zone to keep them out. Finally, the full subjugation of Lazica would create a base of operations for the Persians to expand into the Black Sea and take the territories along the coastline, most importantly, Constantinople, with absolutely no opposition. This would allow for Persian control of trade in the area, ease of movement, and expansion into the Mediterranean. This was the main reason why Hosro originally agreed to help the Lazai against the Byzantines. He never would have agreed to let them remain somewhat independent and potentially switch sides again when they felt like the Persians weren't giving them a fair deal. Which, of course, they were already doing. Life under the Persians was no less oppressive than under the Byzantines. They were rigid in their way of life, and their laws and decrees were all but counter to Lazai ideals. The worst part is that the Persians were filthy fire worshippers, I mean Zoroastrians, and the Lazai were pious Christians. Any advancement in government required conversion to Zoroastrianism, and priests were constantly coming round to mislead, I mean voluntarily convert, the populace. The Lazai also suffered economically under their new masters. The loss of Byzantine trade routes, even with the price hikes that Zebus had made, meant that the Lazai lost access to salt altogether. With no natural salt in the region, they depended on imports. Crops also failed frequently and growing grain, or growing grapes for wine, was quite difficult. They were able to grow millet and found other ways to find enough to eat, but things were nevertheless increasingly difficult. The Lazai grew more and more discontented as they realized that life under the Persians was, astoundingly, actually worse than under John Zebus. Hosro understood all this and had a plan to fix it. Get rid of King Gubaz II and deport all the Lazai somewhere else. After these plans were put in place, Hosro sent Yazgushnasp to Byzantium as an envoy but would stop first in Daras to rest. This is an interesting story, so I will talk about it. Hosro picked 500 of his best soldiers and ordered them to go into Daras, find as many houses to stay in, and the following night set them all ablaze. While the Byzantine troops attempted to put out the fires, the Persians would open the gates and the rest of the army could enter and take the city. This plan was foolproof in Hosro's mind, but one of the Byzantine soldiers that had joined him after Petra defected back to the Byzantines and told the commander of Daras, Georgios, about the plan. With this in mind, Georgios met with Yazgushnasp along the border between the two empires and brought up the 500 Persians in Daras. Such a large entourage was not permitted within the city, insinuating that something dastardly was afoot. Yazgushnasp took this as an insult, and insisted he only wanted to speak with Justinian. Georgios replied that only 20 men would be permitted to accompany him inside the city. 
This put a stop to Hosro's plan for capturing the city, and Yasgustas went on to Constantinople without further incident. He lavished gifts upon the emperor as well as a letter inquiring upon the emperor's health. Yasgustas was treated better than most envoys, and he left with many gifts once he returned to Persia. Returning to Lazica, ships and siege engines were under construction at Petra. Fabrizos, the brother of Yasgushnasp, was ordered to dispose of the Lazai king, Gubaz II. Such an act of treachery would require a measure of collaboration from the members of the Lazai nobility. Fabrizos entered Nokalakevi with 300 soldiers and began his search for a sufficiently amoral noble. Word came of a noble named Farzanzis that had been arguing with the king and refused to see him. Fabrizos had his candidate. He summoned the noble to meet with him, where they began plotting. It was decided that Fabrizos would invite King Gubaz II to Petra, and together they could talk about the needs of the Lazai people, especially since Hosro wanted to make sure that they could improve their living conditions. And off Farzanzis went to invite the Lazai king to Petra. However, when they met, Farzanzis instead told Gubaz of Fabrizos' plan to assassinate him. This prompted the two former enemies to work together and plan an open revolt against the Persians. With the Lazai now in full revolt, Hosro's attempts to subjugate the kingdom had vanished into thin air. Fabrizos ordered his garrison at Petra to prepare for a siege and promptly departed back to Persia, leaving his troops leaderless. Gubaz reported everything to Justinian and begged the emperor to forgive Igrisi for his insolence and to aid them with everything that they could to get rid of the Persians because without their support, Igrisi would fall. Justinian could not be more than gladdened by this news and he sent 7,000 men under General Dagistaios along with 1,000 Sanoi to assist the Lazai. Once they reached the area around Petra, they met with King Gubaz II and prepared for another siege. To connect with us, feel free to find us on social media under history underscore Georgia or on Facebook at the History of Sacartvelo, Georgia. Our intro music is Bindisperia Sopeli by Zedashe. They will be touring the U.S. in September 2024, so keep a lookout for them. This is where I'd like to remind you of the ongoing GoFundMe to help support my trip to Georgia. And to help this podcast continue otherwise, Please feel free to subscribe to our Patreon or donate via Coffee or PayPal. Uh, on Patreon, you can get various bonus episodes, just such as the episode on Dolly, or even the readings of the Book of Wisdom and Lies by Orbiliani. The links are in the episode description. If you would prefer donating something a bit more tangible, such as a book, we also have an Amazon wish list for you to peruse and order something from. But... The best way and the free way to help us is via a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast host, as it goes a long way with getting the word out about the show and helping us reach new people to learn about Georgia. Madlaba da Nakvamdis, and thank you for listening to The History of Sacarvillo, Georgia. See you next time. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.